Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship today in spirit and in truth, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God, let's open the Word of God and find in the Word of God Hebrews chapter 4. And we've been walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book and the text of Hebrews. And as we come to chapter 4, we're going to see a lot of continuation from chapter 3. In the beginning of chapter 3 all the way through, we talked about kind of the rest that God had for the people of God, um, but the problem that they had not entering that rest because of one simple issue, unbelief. And so Hebrews 3, again, is this warning of do not harden your heart. That's the text. It says multiple times, do not harden your heart, but today hear the Word of God. Today listen to His voice, because today is the day of salvation. We know that Satan, one of his favorite words is tomorrow. Tomorrow get right with God. Tomorrow start following Jesus. But God says, no, today hear the voice. Today do not harden your heart. And so there's this invitation from us, that this warning for us, that an entire generation of people in the Old Testament, the, the, the people of God led out of Israel, led out, Israelites led out of Egypt in the Exodus, that they died on the wrong side of the Jordan. They died on the wrong side of the promised land because of unbelief. And that warning that God gave the people of God in, in Exodus and the warning that we see in, in Hebrews 3 is the same warning today. You will die on the wrong side of eternity if you do not believe. If you refuse to repent, if you refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you will miss out on God's promise. You will miss out on God's best and you will stand separated from God for all eternity because you cannot avoid your accountability to the truth. We will all stand before God and as I stand here and preach the word of God to you, as my calling is to preach the very word of God, I want to challenge you, I want to plead with you as, as Paul did with, with Agrippa and Felix, I'm begging you, turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus. There, there's no one who can offer you what he can offer. There's no one who has done for you what he has done. Jesus Christ is the answer for all of life. He is the promise that we have. And I pray here today as we walk through the text that you will see the hope that we have in Jesus. And don't wait for tomorrow. You choose today. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you will, with me as we continue in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, let's start in verse 1, and then we're going to spend our time today in verses 14 through 16, but here's what the Word of God says in verse 1. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, it's, it's an open invitation, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it because of unbelief. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard, it did not benefit them because they were united by faith with those who listened. So there were some who heard and obeyed and received and some who did not believe. And that's what the separation was. But it says in verse 3, for we who have believed, we are able to enter that rest. Eternal life is ours because we have believed by faith through his grace provided to us. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has Somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So you're seeing again this reiteration of what unbelief causes. Separation. 
the inability to rest in God's promise and his hope and salvation. So he says in verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. And again, you're seeing it again. Today. Today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow may not come. Tomorrow's not promised. Today, the Word of God says through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But turn and come to him. For if Joshua had given them rest, if he was able to accomplish that, well, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's rest in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't have to toil to, to please God. There's nothing that I can do in Christ to make God love me more. Nothing I can do in Christ to make God love me less. I can rest in the finished work of Christ. I can rest in what he has done for me, and I can stand upon his promise. And so there's rest for those who are in Jesus, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. Now, verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as they did in, in Israeli history. For the word of God, it is, watch this, living. The word of God, it is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And that's why we stand on the word. It's living and active. This word is able to, to open you up and cut you to the core and reveal your need for Christ. And so he says that is discerning to the intentions of the heart. And no creature, verse 13, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now right there, we're just going to see very plainly and clearly, you cannot fool God. You can fool me, that's fine. I'm not your God, I'm not your Holy Spirit, I'm not your judge. But you cannot fool God. You can play church, you can get gold stars for your attendance, you can be better than your next door neighbor, you can do all those things, but you cannot fool God. You will stand to give an account. Are you covered by his blood or are you standing accountable for your own? Since then, verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God. Let's ask God to use it as we submit and surrender to his authority over us. Father, we come before you grateful and thankful for your living and active word. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to use the living word of God to pierce, Lord Jesus, to, to cut and to correct and to convict and to change. God, we ask now that what we don't, do not know that you will teach us, what we do not have you will give us, and who we are not right now through the power of the word of God, living and active in us, make us for your glory. God, we love you, we listen, and we submit and surrender. In Jesus' name that we pray, God's church says, amen. As you find your seat, you can find your Hebrew scripture guide. You can also find the backside of your worship guide to plug in some things as we walk through the word. But again, we're so glad you're here. So thankful for the opportunity that we have to worship together and to stand together on the word of God. I want you to see in Hebrews chapter 4, two invitations Two invitations that help us understand this call that we have in Hebrews so far to come to Christ, and the other invitation to continue to hold on to Christ. 
Are you seeing the invitation, come to Christ? And for those who have come, the secondary invitation is is keep coming to Christ. Keep holding on to Christ. Do not let go. And so we need to come all the way to Christ and keep coming to Christ, continue in Christ, and don't ever let go and don't ever stop following Christ. Why? Because as we've seen several times through Hebrews, we'll see even more again, Jesus is better. He's better than than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the sacrificial system. He has no parallel, he has no equal, and no one can give you what he can give. And so two things I want the Word of God to reveal to us as we think about who Jesus, this great high priest, is for us. Number one is this, we are called to cling to your confession. You're called to cling, hold on, grasp, cling to your confession. All right, as we walk through the Word, we need to first of all understand this foundational truth. Christianity it is about Jesus Christ. All right, Christianity, following Jesus, it is all about Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about your morality. Christianity is not about your behavior and modification. Christianity is not about your ethics or good principles to live by. Live by. Uh, we never invite someone, hey, would you come follow Jesus so we can be around nice people? Hey, you want to come follow Jesus so we can do good things? Hey, you want to come follow Jesus so we can make a difference in the world for, for the good? Lost people can do those things. All right? Unchurched people can do those things. People who aren't followers of Christ can, can do good things in the world and make a difference. No, we invite someone to become a Christian so they can experience Jesus. Come experience a Savior. You're a sinner and need a salvation. I've got the solution in the Savior that died for your sin, right? You, you need a priest who can reconcile you to God because we have a holy God who can't be in relationship with sin and you are sin and need a relationship with the holy God and Jesus has come to reconcile you, to bring you into right relationship with the Father. You've been separated and Jesus is the one who can bring you back together. And so we see that we need Jesus, and we need Jesus for, for two things that we see in this text that John MacArthur would also point out. We see, number one, Jesus, he is the perfect priest. All right, Jesus is the perfect priest. You go back to verse 14. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, Jesus is not only identified as a high priest, but we read in the text, he is identified as the great high priest. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, high priests are prominent throughout the Old Testament. You go back and read, we read about Aaron being a high priest, about others being a high priest. There's a lot of high priests in the history of Israel, and especially in the Old Testament, but there's only one great high priest that exists, and his name is Jesus, right here, the Son of God. He is the great high priest. Now, what, what makes him so great? What, what separates him from the thousands of other priests in history of God's people that would stand in that gap, because what we're going to read about in a moment, even though he was tempted in every way that we are, he never sinned. He was the perfect son of man, the perfect son of God. And we also read right here in verse 14, he has passed through the heavens into the very throne room of God to stand in our place. Now, what does that mean? Passed through the heavens. Let's, let's break the text down. What, what does it mean that Jesus has passed through the heavens. Well, in the Old Testament, the priest, every priest, had to pass through something. Right? The Old Testament, every priest had to go through something once a year, one man a year, on the Day of Atonement, that high priest had to pass through three different barriers made by man in the temple before he was allowed into the presence of God. 
He had to, first of all, you go back and read, he had to go through the temple courts. That's where all the sacrifices were made. Then he had to enter the second place, that being the holy place, where he would make sacrifice for himself. And then he would have to go to the holy of holies, which was where the presence of God dwelt among his people. So three different barriers did this man have to go through before he was ever allowed into the presence of God. And the high priest, again, he couldn't go into the holy of holies until he had offered a sacrifice. Red and green. Here we go. All right, now I don't know what to do with my hand. I'll, I'll, this one, this one's like a little chicken wing over here. I, don't, I speak with this one. Okay. The high priest. Let's get there. Let's come back. God's word is good. The high priest, he could not go into the holy of holies until, again, he had sacrificed for his own sin. And then once he got into the Holy of Holies, he, he could, had to sprinkle the blood of the sins that the people that he represented. And then what did he do? He left immediately. The high priest got out of there because he was in the holy presence of God. And, and we read that they were able to tie a rope to his ankle just in case he walked in the wrong way with the wrong heart. He would have to be dragged out of there because he would fall dead in the presence of God. And we read in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, there was no chair. There was no bench. There was no place for him to sit because he would have to come back. His work was never finished, but the great high priest, what to read about right here, the great high priest, he didn't pass through a curtain in a temple, he passed through the heavens. It says he passed through the heavens. What does that mean? He left the presence of God, the perfect presence of God. He came all the way down to us, all the way down to man, all the way down to earth. He put on flesh, he sacrificed himself for our sin in our place, he presented his own blood to sprinkle on the heavenly mercy seat. And we see that as payment for our sin, he did what no priest had ever done before him. What did he do? He sat down in the actual presence of God. He sat down in the actual presence of God. And here's the good news. He's still there. He's still there. He is still on the throne. He's still in the presence of God because it is finished. I want to walk through the Word of God with you in Hebrews and see what Christ has done for us. Chapter 1, verse 3, we read as a few weeks ago that He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, what did He do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then we go to chapter 7, verse 25. In chapter 7, verse 25, the Word of God tells us about what He has done for us, that consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Then chapter 8, verse 1, the point is what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Chapter 9, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. Then 9.24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Chapter 10, verse 12, but when Christ has offered, had offered for himself all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then finally, Chapter 12, 
verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The finished work of Christ is what Hebrews is all about. I mean, that's the theme. We just read six, eight verses about the finished work of Christ, that he has sat down in the presence of God. And so that's the confession that we cling to, that he did for me what I could not do for myself, that he died in my place, he forgave my sin, he canceled my debt, he gives me life, he was able to do for me what I could never do, Jesus, he is the perfect priest. He is the perfect priest. You see, uh, we, we talk about priests in this world, and, and you know what? There's a lot of churches that have priests, and I've been called a one-armed priest before just for fun, and I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor because you know what? I have a priest, and his name is Jesus. That's the only priest I need. He's the one who makes intercession for me. He's the one who stands in my place. He's the one who brings me into the presence of God. He's the perfect priest. But number two, he's also the perfect person. He's also the perfect person. Look in verse 15 of chapter 4. It says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, we have to understand that Jesus, he is fully man. And he's also fully God. And that's hard for our brains sometimes to wrap around that, but we understand because he was fully man, he's able to identify with the full range of our weaknesses. He's able to identify with us. In fact, it says in the text, he's able to sympathize with us. All right, to sympathize, to feel for us. So that means he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to go through what you've gone through. He knows what it's like to go through what you are currently going through. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to, to struggle. He knows what it's like to feel grief and loss. He knows what it's like to be disappointed and hurt by those that he loves. All right, Jesus knows how you feel. There's no one who can identify with you as closely as Christ can identify with you. Something we said in chapter 2 as we walked through that text is that you know, there's a lot of people you can say to, hey, you don't know what it's like to go through what I'm going through, but that's something you can never say to Jesus. He can say that to you, but you cannot say that to him. And so we understand that when we look up to God, when we cry out to God, when we pray to God, when we're in the middle of all that we're going through, we have a high priest who is with us. He's been there. He understands. He can identify. He's not separated from us in such a way that he has no idea how to identify with us. He can identify with us in everything except sin. He can identify you with you in everything that you're going through, and that's the difference, is that he had to be a man to be our substitute. Or he had to be a man to be our substitute, but he had to be God because God required a perfect sacrifice. We, we were not able to do that. We weren't able to sacrifice ourselves, so Jesus had to be man so he could stand in our place, and he had to be God so he could satisfy the full wrath of God, the sinless, perfect sacrifice. And so there's an illustration about this identification, and, and you understand this. In this room today, there's several women in here who have delivered a baby. You've gone through the labor of childbirth, and everyone in this room is able to say that because of someone who delivered them. And many women have a male doctor deliver their baby. We've had a male OBGYN. Now, a male doctor can understand everything that his patient's going through, can understand everything that, that the patient is, is supposed to go through during childbirth, and, and what he's supposed to do to take care of the mom and take care of the baby, facilitate the birth of the baby. So in other words, the male doctor has the power to deliver the baby, 
But the male doctor, he has no power to feel any of the pain. He can't identify. The closest thing to childbirth that a man can feel is called the man cold. And it's bad. I've had it. I tell my wife every time we've had a baby, I'm like, oh, this is just like my man cold. Maybe it's not as bad, but I understand that. But you know who can deliver the baby? And you know who can feel the pain? A female doctor who is also a mother. Now, what do you mean by that? She can sympathize with her patient. Oh, she can feel all the range of emotions that that mom is going through while she's delivering that baby. She can feel it because she's been there. She can identify with her. She can sympathize what it is to cry when that epidural doesn't work. She can sympathize what it is to be frustrated, exhausted, sad, angry, and joyful all at the same time. She can sympathize what it is to be angry with a husband who's not all in the moment, right? She can sympathize because she's been there. And in the same way, we have a great high priest that says right here in Jesus Christ, who's not only our doctor, who also cannot deliver, but also can sympathize with what we're going through. He is the perfect person. So we have a perfect priest. We have a perfect person. And so we cling to that confession of who we have in Christ. And I just want you to understand that that Jesus, he loves you. And he knows what it is to be you. He's never experienced your sin, but he has paid the penalty for your shame. And he wants to invite you to be identified with him. He wants to represent you before the Father. He wants to be your priest. And he's inviting for you to trust in him. And so we cling to that confession. And number two, we come to Christ with confidence. We cling to that confession, and then we come to Christ with great confidence. It says in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our perfect priest. He's the perfect person. Jesus is also the perfect provision. This is such a powerful contrast for us about drawing near to God through Christ. Because in the Old Testament, when the people of God are delivered into the Exodus and they're delivered out of Egypt, they go to the wilderness and Moses goes on top of the mountain. They're worshiping the living God. What does God say when they draw near to the mountain? Whoa, too close. Don't, don't come near. If you touch the mountain, you'll die. All right, so y'all take a step back. Y'all can't come into my presence like this. Y'all can't touch the mountain because if you touch the mountain, you will surely die. And even as they transported the Ark of the Covenant, at one time that, that priest stuck his hand out to stop it from falling, and guess what? He died. There was this holy reverence where you had to stand back. You could not simply approach God. You could not come to God. And here we're told, come closer. Draw near. Come, it says, with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? Because of Jesus because of what he's done. Because when you needed a way to God, he made a way for you to come. When you needed a way to get into a relationship with God, he made a way for it to be possible. You can approach the throne. Now understand, this throne is a throne of God. You go back and read in the Old Testament, Isaiah, you go back and read the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 4, we find a throne. And what do we find a throne of? Judgment. Revelation 4 says it's a great white throne judgment. All right, there's a judgment seat, and the throne represents judgment, and the blood of the animals throughout this whole entire history could not change the judgment throne. It couldn't make a difference. But because of the perfect priest, who is the perfect person, who is our perfect provision, because of what he's done, we draw near, not to a throne of, of justice, not to a throne of judgment. What do we draw to, it says? We draw confidently, draw near to a throne of grace. 
throne of mercy. Jesus transformed the throne of God. He transformed the throne of God. For those of us who are in Christ, God's throne is not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of immeasurable grace. Christ has been judged for your sins, and at his throne, you find grace to help you in your time of need. Even in your weaknesses, or even when you're suffering, you can approach the throne of God with confidence because we know that God has fully and finally and forever put away all of our sin in Jesus Christ. When you are in Jesus, you can come to God not in fear. You can come to God in faith. Isn't that amazing? You know why it's amazing? Because we know who we are. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God. I'm not worthy to approach the throne of God. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God. Even on my best day, I am not worthy to be in his presence. I deserve hell. I deserve judgment. I deserve punishment. I deserve eternal separation. But what it says here, because I'm in Christ, because of what he's done for me, because he's my priest, I am able to come with confidence to the throne of God. I don't come with fear. That means I can enter into his presence and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my struggles. Here's my sufferings. You know where I've been. You know what I'm going through. You identify with me. And God, I'm coming to you because, God, you give me immeasurable grace. What a throne that we are invited to. What a throne that we are able to approach again because of what we know that we are. We need his grace. There's a story of a guy who had his picture taken for his driver's license, and he was very upset with the picture. So he Saw the picture, saw what it looked like. He went to the DMV worker, and he he kind of approached the the worker and said, listen, look at this picture of me. This picture does not do me justice. And the DMV looked at him and looked at the picture and said, you're right. You don't need justice for that picture. You need mercy. And that's what we need. We know how broken, dysfunctional, sinful, ugly that we are, and we need his mercy. So I want to challenge you this morning to understand that you can come to Christ and you can experience mercy. You can experience the grace that you don't deserve. You can get the help that you need. There's nobody like this, nobody like Jesus. You can confidently come to him. But on the other side, the exact same is true. The throne is not a throne of grace and mercy. The throne is just what it is for you. It's a throne of judgment. And you will stand accountable for your sin because someone has to pay the debt someone has to pay the price for your sin, and it's either Christ or it's you. And if you do not receive the free gift of Jesus Christ, you will stand accountable for your own sin. You will stand accountable for your own wrongdoings and judgment. You will be condemned, and you will stand in the presence of God with guilty fears. Why would you ever not come today? It says come today. Don't wait for tomorrow. You come today. We can come and be free. We can come and be forgiven. We can come and be fully under the grace of God. He's our perfect priest. He's the perfect person. Jesus is our perfect provision. I'm going to add one more as we close this morning. He is our perfect preparation. He's our perfect preparation. If you want to be a doctor, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a doctor and start practicing. That's not how it works. If you want to be a doctor, there's advancement of years prior that you're planning to become a doctor. 
I mean, you go to college and you have a major that helps you get into medical school, then you apply for medical school, then you spend four years of medical school, at least three years in residency and in training, and you prepare almost your entire life for that moment to become a doctor. And only after you go through all the process, only after you make that decision a long time ago, can you begin to actually practice medicine. And so it's not a decision that you can make today. You can't just wake up and say, I'm going to be a doctor. And you can't wake up today at 65 and say, you know what, I'm going to start planning my retirement. No, you make that plan long before. The same as your kid graduates high school, you don't say, hey, today I'm going to start a college fund for my child. No, you do that years ago when they're a toddler, right? These are things that you do a long time ago. And so in other words, the decision about your future direction requires present preparation. And for, in other words, for you to know where you are going, you must make a decision about what you must do in the now. And there's a day coming when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, either not guilty or guilty, and it'll be too late to make a decision. You need to make preparations now. Make preparations today. How are you prepared for eternity? Because I know this. He's my perfect preparation. I got prepared the day I was eight years old. I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I confessed him as my Lord and Savior. I repented of my sin, and I left my old self behind, and I began to follow Jesus in newness of life. And I've got security because of what he's done for me. And I know as I approach his throne with confidence, I'm with Jesus. Right on with Jesus. I heard Alistair Begg share a powerful story about that, about that, that middle man on the cross. Right, the middle man on the cross. He's like, I want to meet that old middle man on the cross and say, hey, man, you didn't go through a church membership class. You didn't get baptized. Uh, you didn't do anything. I mean, you didn't go through any catechisms or you know, that, that church model. Like, you didn't do anything. How did you get into heaven? And he'll just simply say, I don't know. I'm with him. I came with him. The man on the other cross, the man on the middle cross told me that I could come, and I came with him. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning. Come with Christ. Get right with Christ. Don't wait for tomorrow and die on the wrong side of the Jordan, the wrong side of eternity. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ right now. Life and death is before you, eternally speaking, and I want to challenge you. Come to Christ. Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts this morning. I pray the text today has only encouraged you to behold Christ to fully understand what he has done, to fully grasp the payment that he paid, to fully receive what he's done in your place. Jesus, he is our perfect priest, the one who brings us into relationship with the Father. Jesus, he is the perfect person. There's nobody who can love you like Jesus. Nobody who identifies you like Jesus. And he's also our perfect provision. No greater payment has been paid for your sin than the work of Jesus Christ who died in your place for your sin to make you forgivable, redeemable. And he's also our perfect preparation. He is the only way to be saved. He is the only way to have security. Is the only one who can deliver. Would you trust him right now? We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. 
If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.